Technology and food have to be in the top five passions for any nerd. I'm Chris Riley, tech advocate for Splunk, SweetCode contributor, and bad coder turned dev enthusiast. I sit down to eat with techies to talk about modern technologies, careers in tech, and advancement in development practices. My employer does not own or sponsor this podcast. My thoughts are my own, and no guests were drugged or coerced during the recording. This is Developers Eating the World. We're here at reInvent, yes. Vegas. <laughs> Again. Yeah, I know. We were just talking before I pressed the record button about how disturbing it is. So you travel enough, you yeah, get confused where you are. You, you, you have to think about where you were last week. And right. then you land, you're like, which airport is this? Yeah. Right. And then, um, so reInvent, um, what do you think of reInvent? This event is just insane. It's, it's crazy busy. Um, even compared to last year, it's it's just feels too much. It's just yeah. over the top. It's just over it. Yeah, it's too much. Every They're tracking se- every move of your every session's full. Uh, so if you didn't book ahead of time, like three four weeks, you're not getting the ones you want. I think they they said like what sixty five thousand people. The rumor seems to be sixty four thousand, sixty five thousand people here. Fifty thousand are paid attendees. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because they work for AWS. No, no, fifty thousand are. No, oh, they're paying not not sponsored, not, right, not right, sponsors, right. not AWS. Oh my god! Wow. All right, so what do you what do you do? <laughs> uh, well, let's see. I uh, spend most of my time uh, just working with people throughout the industry, doing uh, through Red Hat for partnerships on clouds and DevOps, uh, database spaces. And then uh, just trying to keep up with all the industry trends and every little startup in the space. Yeah. So you implement? <laughs> Yeah, I am. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Vince is, this is, you're the third Fixate contributor. So, all star Fixate contributor. Fixate would be lost without you. Um, prolific blogger. I mean, how many blog posts do you do a month? Three or four? Oh, I thought it was more than that. Oh, I review everything, though. So, yeah, that's right. You're one of the, yeah, you, you, you look at every piece, which is fantastic. Um, and if you don't know Fixate, Fixate's a uh, practitioner blogging community. Um, doing technical blog content. The one that was just published yesterday was on chaos engineering. Yes. Which yeah. I think, would, I'd like, I don't know a lot about chaos engineering. Chaos There's engineering. a vendor here called Gremlin, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. Um, I talked to them a little bit and he told me that a lot of the users are SREs, which seems counterintuitive to me because SREs are meant not to let <laughs> stuff break. Well, the whole, the whole beauty of uh, chaos engineering is you do it when the SREs are in the office. So they break stuff all day, and then they know it won't break when they're not there. How do you decide what to break? You don't. That's the thing. You, you basically take your environment and break it into two halves. Stable, and one where you kind of release a little tool that breaks stuff randomly. So we're at the Grand Lux Cafe, which I've eaten here twice. Last time was with my boss at... What the hell conference was that? Oh, it was Comp. It was a Splunk conference, our conference. Um, yeah, it's, it's just goofy. And now it's 12,000 people. Yeah. Oh, man, I, that felt... Well, like, like Red Hat Summit is 8,000 people. Eight. Uh, Google Next is 20,000. It's going to be 30 next year, apparently. Yeah. Isn't Google Next all focused on uh, mobile? No. It's all their cloud. Anything cloud. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. I get it confused uh, Google. with... Uh, there's an SDK that's Google like, I.O., I think, is their developer yeah. mobile one. Yeah. All right, so back to chaos engineering. Yeah. 
So the way, the way you kind of do chaos engineering is you take your environment and make a stable area or steady state so you can kind of see what it should look like when it's running. And then you pick an area of your infrastructure and you release uh, tools into it. So uh, Net, um, Netflix has a kind of the originators of this case right, right. with uh, Chaos they, Monkey. Chaos Monkey, okay. Um, and now they got the whole Chaos, uh, the Symbian Army to call it. So they got a monkey and a gorilla and a bunch of other tools. <laughs> so what they do is they go into your infrastructure and like... So the like, monkey does little things, yeah. the gorilla takes well, the, down the gorilla is, pods? The gorilla stimulates a data center that okay. going <laughs> offline. So it, it's everything from like a service to a, you know, a data center going offline. But the idea being that if it goes uh, offline, and it, you're, you should have your, it helps your remediation. So your logging tools pick up the air, you should have automated remediation, it should bring it back online. You shouldn't see the outages. Now and then you will see an outage and go, what broke that, what combination of things broke to make it not recover itself? So it could have taken down, you know, a VM and caching, another proxy, and then something else, and between the three of them, it's an unknown state and it just can't recover on its own. So, so do chaos engineering platforms like Gremlin, are they meant to track that? The, How does that work? So they they make the tool sets to kind of track the steady state, to track what's being broken, right? And right. Kind of like an audit trail? Right, it's, it's kind of an audit trail. And then it starts based on, it knows that this scenario never causes an outage. Let's do that plus something else, right? And they keep kind of oh. compounding. So you get to the point that you're, you're getting after a while doing chaos engineering and because it's daytime hours when developers are available, your SREs are running it, you can get things recovered quick because you don't want to be called at 2 a.m. So these guys start to build really complex scenarios that allow you to just, you know, really stress your infrastructure. Like, you've got three data centers, one data center goes completely offline, what happens if caching also goes offline in data center three, right? Like, you've only got one, a third of your caching infrastructure alive. What happens? Then that's what it does. So, what got you interested in chaos? Like, are you actually recommending this? Yeah, I, I, would, I would. Oh yeah, I'd recommend it to anybody. It feel, really? Yeah. If you want to say you actually run at scale, you should be able to tolerate anything failing. And chaos engineering proves the point. Um, that's interesting because I, I really thought of it as a kind of like the bleeding edge. Well, yeah, like your average enterprise isn't going to be comfortable with it. But any startup that's starting cloud native, there's zero excuses not to be able to randomly shut down any one thing at any given time. So what do you, what do you enjoy most about these events? I'm sure it's booth duty, right? Well, Love yeah. standing at the booth. I, I like hearing what customers actually do with the products. And you hear the weirdest scenarios, like we're doing this with these two products and we hit this error and we're like, we've never tried those two products together in that or combination. or they're on a cloud you've never heard of. Like, I mean, most people talk about the big five clouds, right? And uh, which is what, IBM, Alibaba, Google, Azure, Alibaba. and AWS. Yeah. Um, AWS I'm is by far that's the still even a conversation. I don't know. The early days of Alibaba were quite interesting. It's, <laughs> it's different, but they're bigger than Google outside of North America now. Yeah. So it's it, they're in the conversation, especially when you're doing APEC stuff. It, but you go, people are like having services on one cloud, talk to services on another cloud, and they're hitting errors, and you're like going, oh, we never thought we'd be crossing regions, let alone, you know, whole cloud infrastructure, so it's Vince, it's how fun. do you stay current on all this shit? I read a lot. <laughs> I'm always, there's always a... 
is that part of the benefit of being a blogger? Yeah, that that, that's, to, it's an excuse, it right? Yeah. Every now and then you get to see a new area, you get to try a new tool set. Um, but yeah, but blogging is kind of the excuse to do extra reading. Yeah. Yeah, that's really hard <laughs> to keep up on this stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, chaos engineering, like for example, is still kind of a relatively, I've known about chaos monkey forever, but I always took it as kind of like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, it, but it gives you, it just gives the comfort where you can go to the executive and go, we have 20% less errors this month than last month, and this is why, right? I mean, that's, right. So, in terms of the audience here at reInvent, would you consider these like the, the cloud native audience, or the still kind of progressive, or are we getting to like this is the majority? These are the so, even maybe the late. Uh, reInvent covers all tiers, right? Like Amazon even breaks down their content into 100, 200, and 300 level content. So, new to the cloud, have touched it but not done anything with it, and 300 content is you're kind of familiar. What I'm finding now is there's people that have been coming to reInvent long enough that 300 content isn't deep enough. Like, it's boring. Like, even I can't go to 300 content sessions because it's wizard-driven or it's this command line. It's not weird scenarios. It's not the complex stuff. It's, you know, this is, a, this, this is tuning a VM. I'm like, great, there's 300 blog posts on this exact topic. <laughs> I don't need to fly this far. So reInvent's all about getting in with vendors. Um, for me, talking to partners and uh, just trying to move things forward. And the customer interactions are invaluable. That's why we come to the, that's why most vendors are here. Yeah, because everybody already knows Red Hat. So right. why, you know, yeah. it's kind of like the Splunk booth too. I, I'm not manning the Splunk booth, but it's like, yeah, most of them already know who Splunk yeah, is. So what do you talk about? You're really talking about, those are the conversations I like. Yeah. Is where, I mean, of course you have the people coming to get the hat or the t-shirt. Yeah, oh yeah, stuff. definitely. Um, but having a conversation about like solving real problems is fantastic. And surprisingly enough, there are people that don't know Splunk, they don't know Red Hat. Like, they're fresh in the industry, they've used a Windows desktop or a Mac, and they just, they've never seen backend infrastructure. You there's a lot of students at this show. Yeah. I wonder if there was like some program. Like I talk, I had a great conversations with three computer science students. And I really enjoy just talking to them, like help them. Because what I've realized, um, you know, as I was a contributor for FixAid and, and so forth, that junior developers can be the most amazing coders on earth, but they don't know the business of coding. Right. Like they don't know how it interacts with teams and how teams interact with infrastructure and how and so when you have conversations about like, yeah, you have an alerting tool because if shit breaks you need to know and developers are on call more than they you know, it's starting to become more common. Or you need a uh, orchestration tool for, you know, scale and things like that. They just don't know they don't think about that. <coughs> and it's not taught either. No, and, and Junior developers are, I, I get people in DevOps practices all the time to try to find their junior developers because they're the guys who will work in the evenings to learn something. So when you're trying to get like a DevOps practice off, DevOps practice off the ground in these bigger organizations, I'm like, the assistants don't have time and often don't want to code. The senior developers are too busy with business problems. So you get these junior guys and go, and they're like, why can't I do this myself? And you go, well, this is, I don't have time, but these are the mechanisms. If you can figure out how to do it yourself, I'll put it in production and you can do it yourself. And they're like, cool. And then you know, a week or two later, they learn a new skill. They've helped everybody by doing something self-service. And 
you know, it gets them integrated with, with the business and you go, okay, so now you know that you touch, you know, ITIL processes and, the, and this is the interface point. So they learn, but they're also, because they're eager, you can really get them to move things along. Did right? you say ITIL? ITIL. <laughs> is that still a thing? It is. Well, I, I, I know, I have several peers in the industry who think it is still the thing. I'm, um, I'm certified, so. Oh, really? I, I know ITIL. Well, there's a new version, three. isn't there? Yeah, I don't it, even know what the fuck ITIL 4 just came out, and it is brutal. Like, they completely read it everything. I'm like, they're trying what to. What does that mean? With, with why they read it everything? Yeah. They're trying to make it service based instead of, like, uh, functional based. Yeah, and it's painful. Like, they're using old school technology terms and they package them as what they call services. And then, well, and a part of that, I think, is the comfort level because it's the old school audience yeah. that still uses the term ITIL. And the checks and balances aren't bad. Like, ITIL by itself is just recommended best practices. Like, you should have something that tracks your changes. You should have something that approves things before production. Like, if you really break it down, it's all common sense stuff, but people go so far with tooling that goes this tool does ITIL. No, this yeah. tool enforces a set of practices that are way overkill for you. Yeah, and my issues with ITIL have never been around um, like the tactics of it. It's all been around the ethos, which is very much like... It's command and control. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's like let's, do the cool, let's do the cool automation stuff, but um, you know, let me own it. And, yeah. and let me put a label on it so that I can do that. Yeah. And there's just something about conferences that it's like a, a concert. It's just got this bass noise level that doesn't matter where you go or how far you try to I know, hide. That you, you can't get away from it. I like it for a week. Yeah. Then I'm over it. Friday I'm going to be dead. It's going to suck. Yeah. And I just blew, uh... Enough. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I, I just spent a whole bunch of money on jewelry. I don't think my wife listens to me. She won't know. <laughs> but, uh, so, at the Venetian, the, the jewelry shop in the library is going out of business. 75% off. I'm going to get a lot of points. <laughs> so, uh, what are you most... We talked about chaos engineering. What else are you, like, really interested in researching these days or pushing heavily with your clients so everything's everybody's want everybody wants containers no one knows actually what they are or very few people actually know what they are when you're in the bit you know they hear they hear containers kubernetes kubernetes kubernetes, 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 kubernetes yeah. and they don't realize like they're not the same thing like, kubernetes can run virtual machines like it like with tools like libvert, libvert. so it, it doesn't you don't need to have just containers the idea is Kubernetes does orchestration now. Right. Which is great. So when people talk Kubernetes, they just instantly assume that means cloud native. And we've got partners that have taken their, you know, six gigabyte binary install and shoved it in a container, and now they're containerized. And they run on Kubernetes. See, it, I thought it, we were away for that. It, I mean, Docker kind of like, Docker did that whole move your monolith and then break it apart later right. thing, yeah. which drove me up the effing wall. I hated that. Um, now we have to acknowledge the acquisition. Like, it seems like it, that things have changed. People are more... Like, I talked to a company yesterday who's going from monolith to serverless. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're they, leapfrogging. They skip it. So, and serverless is kind of fun. 
Um, it's, it just gets, it gets frustrating though because it's, it's so limiting what you can do in a single function. It, right? It, you, you have to really break down your app to tiny, tiny pieces to get serverless working with the current Lambda kind of models like AWS has. But with, there's other technologies like Quark is coming out, which what is, is it? Quark is it's a Red App back the, um, Java clone where it can spin up a, it's based on the Graal VM, G-R-A-A-L, um, Java VM. It can spin up in 0.2 seconds, right? So, cool. right, so the, the, the time it used to take to spin up containers that were Java-based was in minutes. Now you're talking under a second, spin up a Java how, VM. How do they do that? It's like it's a lot of spare in memory, yeah, basically? Yeah, and it, it's tiny, and it uses a quarter of the memory. It's, there's, these things that, there's a couple companies doing it, I just, well, would you, you wouldn't use Kubernetes then with that. You can, right? So the idea is if you're running on WebSphere, you're running on JBoss or all these big app servers, and you want to you're taught you want to go serverless, well, the reason you want to go serverless is because it's quicker, right? Well, with these new Java VMs, you can take your app and kind of go to the middle step, which is I can now run faster in containers and then look at serverless still makes sense, right? That's that's kind of the idea. Wow. Yeah, serverless is all about I mean, at AWS, it's about it's cheap, and it's, they're all they're, they're Is quick. it cheap at scale though? Like, if you have an entire application that's serverless, or ninety percent of your application that's serverless, it depends like, I'm how you. Wondering. It depends how you build your app. Like, there's a, I think it's Cloud Academy. It's an online school for certifications. They took their entire application and moved it to be serverless, and because AWS is a million free in, uh, instantiations a month for free. They spend like it's like seventy-five dollars a month they spend on their infrastructure. Right? No way. Yeah, and really. They, and they have a couple thousand students, so it you can really take advantage. But well, that scares me a little bit because they're going to change that probably. Yeah. Right? Well, as soon as they get the mass people there, yeah, the, they'll definitely start charging. Yeah, I'm excited about serverless. The funny thing is, we're at this time of year where the predictions start coming out for 2020, and. Um, Last year, I said this was going to be the year of serverless, and I was too far ahead of the game. I, and that's typical. Like I, I mean, although I was behind the game on chaos um, engineering, but um, this wasn't the year of serverless. Like it was like piddly. Like you know, we have a function here, we do that, we do that, but it wasn't like it's the year of the Linux desktop, right? Again? Is it? I don't know. They tell me that every year for the last twenty years. <laughs> So I'm going to play the game, we're going to finish out and I'm going to play the game with you that I've been playing with everybody the last three episodes, which is uh, I'm going to throw out terms and you're going to give me your opinion, your first reaction. Now what's funny is the first one I was going to do is chaos engineering, so let's skip that one. Okay, AI Ops. AI Ops is a nice spin on what's already being done by a bunch of vendors. Amen. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's... Is it AI? No, uh, nothing's AI right now as far as Thank I can do. Thank you. Yes. Right? Um, yeah. yeah, the only thing that gets close to real AI right now is some of the deep learning stuff like Amazon's doing for demos and Google's doing for demos, but practical real world stuff, it's all machine learning. Yeah. Okay, that was the next one, machine learning. Is machine, that a thing? Machine learning's a thing. And it's just kind of helping the machines to look for patterns, right? It's teaching a bit of a pattern. So machine learning's a real thing. Um, but there's like two types. One is you show them how, what they're going to learn, and the other one is where they teach themselves how to learn. Everything we're doing now is just showing them what to learn. 
I agree with you, but I also think machine learning is put on things that are just statistics. I, I think Stats the term. 201. I think the terms completely overused, but there is real machine learning in the industry, yeah. as okay. opposed to AI, where there's none actually right. for sale. And people need to understand that those are actually two different things. Yeah. Yeah, but every presentation is AI slash ML. Every yeah. presentation. Or IoT. Or pick your other terms. Right. All right. Next one, um, GetOps. GetOps is just infrastructure as code, right? It's just a new branding for it. So that's my view. I, yeah? It, it's, so you version your infrastructure right. as code. Right. Your version, yeah. yeah, it's infrastructure as code version. So what's interesting is I've gotten three definitions of GetOps so far, but yours is the closest to the industry one. Yeah. I mean... It's a cool concept, and it's it's just tying specific tech to it, right? It, but yeah, my only beef with the GitOps industry is they want to store secrets to get in in the Git repository, but just encrypted, and that bothers me so much. Why? Like like passwords and database connection strings and all that stuff. Oh. Like they want to store it in the repository with everything, and I'm I just I can't do that. It just it hurts me too much. There's vault there's That's vaults for that stuff, That's a right? Yeah. That's a great book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah, with, I hadn't thought about with that. With how powerful computing is getting, having encrypted publicly searchable by anybody in your, I mean, not publicly reposed, but in big organizations with 20,000 staff, somebody's going to want to, you know, on, 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 you know, obfuscate that stuff. And then you got production data leaking. It's, it's not, it's not good. <laughs> That's interesting. All right, so that gets me to the last one then. We'll go that direction. Is it DevOps or is it SecOps or is it DevSecOps? What's the proper term? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Security should be in everything, so you should never have to call it out, right? That's my view. But I mean, I understand why people do it, but... Good point. It's just, it's security just should be. By, it should be there. Like, like Microsoft's got a policy that Bill Gates said 15 years ago that if you have to choose between a feature and security, pick security. Right? It just should be that simple. It's, that's the option. So it shouldn't even have to be there. It's right. just a part of the thing. Right. If you're not building secure, why are your customers going to trust you? Like that's that's just the fundamental piece of it. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Vince. Uh, for the listeners, go look up Vince's articles. They're awesome. You can find them. Jeez. In the last four, three, how many years? Three. three yeah, years. Yeah. yeah. All over the place. They're yeah. all freaking stellar. Um, thanks for joining me. No problem. And we're going to finish our breakfast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks.